Welcome to the CBIA Bizcast powered by Google. I'm Amanda Marla with CBIA, and each week on our podcast, we talk to a business leader who's helped shaping the future of Connecticut's economy. This week, we're talking to James Schmerling, the CEO at Connecticut Children's Medical Center. Jim, thank Hi, you Amanda. for being on the podcast. Great to be with you. Well, we are the Connecticut Business and Industry Association, right. so we always start off with how you got to Connecticut. Tell us, I know you've been here for seven years. years now. Seven years. Seven years. Right. So talk to me a little bit about what what got you here and in, into pediatrics. Well, I well let me start with how I got into pediatrics. I was um, in college and finished my sophomore year and wasn't sure what I wanted to do. My parents encouraged me to do anything I wanted, which opened up a whole world. I wanted to do business, I wanted to do law, and I wanted to do medicine. And I couldn't figure out which of those to do. So I quit college for a year and worked in a hospital. Interesting. And I became very interested in healthcare. And, uh, but I wanted to do something with children. And during that course of the year, I worked in the operating room, but I talked with everybody I could. And I spoke with the hospital administrator and he told me what he did. It included medicine and business and law. And uh, we had that conversation. I said, that's exactly perfect for me, but how do I incorporate that to take care of children, to help kids? And he said, there are children's hospitals across the country. I was 19 years old, and that's what set me on my course uh, to finish college, go graduate school, et cetera. And uh, I've been in my children's hospital career for 42 years now. I think that's you know so interesting that you chose really to take that step back. That's not something, you know, now we hear about it more, but it hasn't really always been the case. Did you just feel like that would have helped you figure out where? Yeah, I, I knew I wanted to do something uh, with children, but I needed to narrow it down. I think today a lot of people just go keep staying in school and they go five, six years until they can figure it out and then they come home. I wanted to really have that direction and, and start out uh, with that career. So I went back home to Nashville and worked in a hospital and uh, Started as an OR tech, learning okay. how to on the job, how to hold retractors and assistant surgery, and uh, it led to this this career. I definitely knew I did not want to be a physician at that point. Really? Um, I, I didn't like science in college, and I didn't like um, the the interaction, or the lack of interaction that surgeons had with patients. They're, I love surgeons; I have great deal of respect for what they do, but their patients are asleep, and I wanted the interaction, and I wanted to have more of an impact on children than one one child at a time. And so as I considered health education or medicine, I knew I wanted to do something on a more global scale. And that's, that's what led me into the administration. And obviously healthcare was always- an Always, well. priority, yeah. Um, and so what, how did you get to Connecticut? I think 2015, is that when you came here? 2015, I had actually uh, been at the Children's Hospital of Colorado for nine years. And uh, when my contract expired, I retired. I went home to Nashville and uh, realized after a few months that I wasn't ready to retire. I missed this, I missed the environment, the people, the mission. And I was fortunate that uh, timing-wise, my predecessor had retired and I was contacted about coming to Connecticut. I've never lived in New England before, so I thought what a cool adventure this would be. And uh, here I am, I, I came up and looked and I saw the potential, I met the people here. I said, this is a place I wanna be a part of. And so I just finished my seventh year. Wow. Well, congratulations, and Thank I you. think we're very happy to have you here. Well, love Connecticut, love the people here, I love Connecticut Children's and what we're doing for children. The weather's a little bit different than downtown. It's a lot different here. <laughs> I had, I've had to adjust to the winter. Although Colorado got cold, it wasn't um, as bad because of the altitude. Okay. Uh, 35 degrees there is not as cold as 35 degrees in Connecticut. Yeah. But I like the change of seasons. And my wife is from upstate New York, and so okay. closer to her family. And we now have a daughter in New York City. 
So it, it brought us closer to some of our family. Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, had you, when you came into this position, what were kind of your aspirations for it? Well, I saw tremendous potential, but the hospital was struggling financially. And so we, we couldn't actually invest in some of the growth and the outreach that we wanted to do. So the first year was, was about getting the, the hospital finances in line so that we could start investing and doing more and reaching out to children. Uh, are there some things that, I mean, you've had quite a long career in yeah. you know, pediatrics. Um, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've taken away? Well, first of all, um, physicians in hospitals have minimal impact on child's health. Um, it's more about social determinants and the environment that they're growing up in, their genetics has a lot more to do with their health than what we can do. And that's humbling. We have to understand and appreciate that there is a definite role for children's hospitals, but we have a much bigger role in trying to promote their health out in the community, engage with families and, and work with uh, social service agencies. There's a lot of public policy that goes into this. So it's a much bigger scope than what I initially thought. Yeah, and is that kind of what has kept you going? Absolutely, that to be able to affect public policy at the state level, at the federal level, to work with community organizations and, and reaching out to families and helping them access food, uh, safety, the kinds of things that really will affect a child's health. It's very rewarding. When you uh, you know, said you were ready to retire and then this opportunity yeah. came up, um, besides the finances, what was something that you really hoped to, to impact here? Well, I think uh, because of the, the uh, geography and the proximity to other states, to have a regional presence, um, to take care to children closer to home. Uh, uh, children would have to come to Hartford or to New Haven for their care, um, and the state spread out. And so being able to, to take those services and have them accessible to children where they live was a big priority. And we can't really talk about <laughs> healthcare right now without talking about the pandemic. Right. Um, you know, in every which way, it took hospitals, healthcare, and turned it upside down between the staffing shortages, um, just the amount of people in the hospitals. Right. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about how Connecticut Children's is, is really what they saw and, and changed and how you're looking to lead? Well, one of the things that uh, we knew, but a lot of people wouldn't uh, recognize, was that the, the children and families who are socioeconomically disadvantaged were the most impacted. And we've known that about kids forever, um, but the, the attention and the resources haven't been there. And so when, when COVID hit, we saw what happened. So it, it got exacerbated. We saw children who were very, very ill. Their mental health needs uh, became more apparent. It's always been there, but it became more apparent and the demand has grown significantly. And so there's a lot of learning and education that we had to do um, to prepare the organization, but also the community and the um, state resources to, to start investing in children's health. Children don't, uh, they don't vote, right? They don't make political contributions. And so when advocacy is out um, making policy, there's no voice for children. And so the dollars don't get allocated to kids and children's health as they should be. And uh, when we saw the pandemic, we saw the impact it was having on children, particularly in their mental health needs, it became more visible. And so we, it helped us educate both legislators and the community about the needs of children. Now, moving forward, um, is that going to continue to be your, your goal? It is, and we saw great success this past legislative session. The, the governor introduced uh, funding in his, his budget for mental health needs for children and adults. The legislature accepted those proposals. It's now law. There's more money being invested in, in mental and behavioral health, particularly for children. 
And so, yes, I think we've made a big impact and we had a great year this last year. The governor is very supportive as was uh, Representative uh, Senator um, Matt Ritter. We had a lot of legislative support and I think that was the key uh, in educating people. Um, the commissioners at the state level uh, engaged with us and had great dialogue. And, and I think we've developed a, a close working partnership with the state to help us as we try to find the resources to support children's health. I think a lot of people had you know, conversations all the time about mental health, but now it really became part of everyday dialogue. It did. And I was in Colorado when the Aurora theater shootings took place, and we took 12 patients from that shooting uh, and saw some tragic uh, consequences. And of course, we've had Sandy Hook here in Connecticut. Um, so people have understood, but it, it's a flash in the pan when, when the, those things happen. There's a lot of outcry, whether it's about guns or mental health, and then it kind of fizzles. Um, this time we got some sustainability in the conversation, and I think that's that's what's different now. And what is Connecticut Children's doing to help with, you know, handle the staffing shortages and, and volumes of patients that are right. coming in? Well, certainly there's more there are more patients, and I think both not only for mental health but also uh, we're seeing a lot of respiratory illness. I think during the um, COVID period when children were isolated wearing masks, they, they weren't exposed to some of these other uh, viruses that are taking place right now. So their immunities have gone down. At the same time, we've hit this um, period of time where, where the employees are burned out, people leaving the field, um, there's high, very low unemployment. Uh, we hired a thousand people this past year. 350 of those were brand new employees, brand new positions. The others were replacement for turnover. We've added more positions in this fiscal year. So it's a high growth in terms of employment. Our turnover is about 14%, which for hospitals in this country is very, very good. I'm not happy with it. None of us are happy with it. It doesn't help the staff who are here when they have that kind of vacancy rate, but uh, we're doing much better than most hospitals in Connecticut and across the country. Why do you think that is? I think it's the mission. I think people who want to work with children love the mission and they um, are resilient. And we're trying to do everything we can to support them. We just hired a new psychologist just for employees. Uh, we're putting a number of programs in place to try and, and help keep up the morale and take care of our, of our employees. If the employees aren't healthy, it's hard for them to take care of children. And so it's an imperative for us to, to support our staff. So that's a big, a, a big investment that we're making as we go forward. Uh, and then some of the technology that we've employed, um, telemedicine. We weren't using it extensively before COVID, now over 20, 25% of our patients that we see on an outpatient basis are being seen through telemedicine. So it allows us to reach further and get, keep children closer to home. They don't have to come into Hartford, uh, wherever they live, we can, we can reach them through telemedicine. So there's a lot of innovation that we've done over the last two years as a result of this. There are a lot of people who put off healthcare because they, they didn't venture out of the house, they were afraid to go out. This allowed us to get into the home without them leaving and still being able to maintain um, care. We had a lot of children with chronic illness, but this, this alleviated a lot of the fear and still provided access. You mentioned that you've hired well over 300 new positions. Right. Besides the psychologist for employees, were there any positions that are very, you know, not just additional nurses or actually new to the shape of the hospital? Yeah, probably 60, 65% were clinical, respiratory therapists, nurses, but we also are seeing more patients um, preparing more uh, patient meals. So we need more uh, dietitians, more cafeteria staff. Um, some of the corporate support, administrative support, can't take care of these children, but there's a whole number of people who are doing things behind the scenes that support that patient care. We had to beef up their staffing as well. 
I imagine the telehealth is one example. Telehealth, absolutely. And uh, it's across the board. I don't know if there's any discipline in the hospital that wasn't affected that hasn't added some positions. Is there something that you um, learned during this, during the pandemic? I think you mentioned that you had seen some of these issues. And I think we hear that from a lot of um, you know, doctors and hospital administration. We yeah. knew some of this needed some, but we kept putting band-aids. Is right. there anything that you saw that you really took away that you yeah. didn't expect? Well, in 42 years, I've never experienced a pandemic, right? So I, I, I thought I'd seen everything, but I obviously have not. And so we were all learning together as we went along. And I think in, in terms of trying to provide leadership to an organization that's all experiencing this phenomenon, not just for, for patients, but also for, for the employees individually, when they go home, they had children who weren't in school. So how do we deal with kids at home with no babysitters and no, um, no classroom, no daycare? Uh, when staff came to work, they're exposing themselves to COVID and the fear of taking that back home and exposing their families. So there are all the personal issues that our staff were dealing with while they were coming to work. And so um, as an executive management team, not just me, but my, my team, we're trying to figure out how do we survive as an organization, but also how do we support the staff to get through all of this? And that was a learning experience for all of us, how important teamwork is, um, how, how much um, we have to appreciate what staff go through. It's not just what they do here at work. Uh, they bring what is happening at home with them when they come to work and it affects their performance. And so uh, I think being much more sensitive to that was something that we've all learned how to do and do better. Certainly the technology that we are using and employing and learning how to do that better has been a, a learning experience for us all. Um, the, the social determinants and the impact that has on children's health and how that impacted their exposure to COVID was something that we, um, we, we knew, but it just sort of reinforced that and, uh, and forced us then to do more in outreach. I've always been impressed that the big H that you see as a symbol for the hospital needs to change to be H stand for health so that we're doing more in the community to promote health, not just taking care of people after they've become sick or injured. Uh, that's an important part of a mission in the children's hospital, and that, that's just reinforced that. It all goes back to that maintenance of, you know, make sure you're getting your typical check-ins. We've taken for granted uh, the necessity of children getting their immunizations and, and keeping up with their schedules. Um, with the resistance to COVID, it's, it's spilled over into other kinds of immunizations. And so now we're seeing children who are exposed to measles or mumps or chickenpox, things that they would have gotten vaccinated for. Even we're seeing an outbreak in TB. Um, because people aren't getting vaccinated. That affects children's health. And when they don't get vaccinated and they go into school and they expose other children, we can see outbreaks of diseases that we thought were gone coming back. And that's gonna affect children's health. And so I, I think it's, it's had an impact. And our job is to continue to educate and promote uh, prevention and, and healthy behaviors, uh, getting into the schools and helping with the, the school nurses and social workers as they're encountering issues in the, in the classroom. And I know you started to touch on it a little bit, but those community partners um, that you have, how do they help in this whole picture of spreading throughout the state? Well, first they entrust us with the care of their children because when they're taking care of families, that will include the, the kids and they don't have those resources and expertise. We come in and partner with them in their facilities. Uh, we're running 10 or 12 different new, newborn intensive care units in adult hospitals. So they have an OB service if a, if a child is a premature has some kind of issues and they need to be in a newborn intensive care unit, we're the ones staffing that unit for those adult hospitals. So those moms don't have to drive up to Hartford necessarily. They can stay local, 
and the NICU is right there in that same hospital. Moms can stay with their babies. So we're partnering with those adult hospitals for those kinds of services. And there are outpatient clinics giving um, specialty services to families that would either have to drive into New York or go somewhere else to, to get access to those. We'll be right there in their backyard. Right. And in terms of innovation, I know we talked about uh, the telehealth, but uh, what are there some other ways um, that Connecticut Children's is kind of leading um, in this realm? Yeah, there. So we're um, a research institution. We're, we're affiliated with the UConn and uh, have an academic affiliation. And so there are a number of our faculty who are uh, physician scientists who are working on discoveries to improve care, to find cures for, for, for treatments. Um, Dr. Chris Fink, who's our surgeon chief, is working on um, a scaffold that can be inserted into an esophagus. I think it's one in 10,000 babies are born with esophageal atresia, which is when the esophagus doesn't connect to the stomach. It's a very serious condition. It can be fatal. It requires a number of surgeries that are very extensive and complicated and have a lot of complications. Um, there is a scaffold that takes adipose tissue, which is fat tissue, and it can regenerate stem cells. Those stem cells are on the scaffold. She can insert them um, in an outpatient procedure, and the, their, their own stem cells start to regenerate. It starts slowly but surely connecting the esophagus to the stomach without the surgery. Um, that's a huge innovation. Um, she's doing this uh, in a, a uh, research capacity right now, but we've gotten federal approval to do this in adults, and wow. as soon as that's finished, we'll be able to move this into actual clinical expertise at the bedside. But it's, it's an advancement that we're making um, here at Connecticut Children's. We just hired uh, a physician named Dr. Tim Crumbleholm, who does fetal surgery. He can do procedures in utero. We can diagnose uh, anomalies in utero, and rather than waiting for that child to be born and have complications, there are some procedures he can do while the baby is still inside mom. Do the procedure. So mom back up, try to get her as close to full term as, as possible, and then have, have a child with, it may not be cure, but may be significantly reducing the morbidity of whatever that condition is. Um, there's a condition called twin-twin transfusion where there are twins and their blood uh, vessels get uh, uh, disconnected and one baby gets all the blood supply, the other gets none. And it was 100% mortality, and they couldn't diagnose that before. So you go, you can imagine going full term, delivering twins, and they both die. It's tragic, and it's it's um, now preventable. We can diagnose that in utero with ultrasound. He can go in and do this procedure, reroute the vessels, um, keep the babies in in the uterus, and there's a 92% survival rate for both twins and 99% for one twin, which is significantly better than what we used to see. These are phenomenal advancements that are making a huge difference and they're housed at, at Connecticut Children's. And so there's really a lot of other examples of research. They couldn't be done without that time spent on the research. Correct. How do you ensure that the time you know remains dedicated to doing that, especially with so much going on? I mean, I know you guys are so busy. Um, how do you ensure that that research and, and development still yeah, it's a part of our mission. So we, we try to fund it. We try to, to uh, ensure that the physicians and their, their teams who are doing the research have time allocated for this. It's just as important as the clinical mission. And so we want to advance care. If we were doing the same care today, five years from now, we'd be behind. So we have to keep up. We want, we want to advance the technology and the, and the discoveries so that we're creating the treatments, not just responding and reacting years later. 
And I think that's one of the differentiators of a children's hospital with an academic affiliation. Uh, we're advancing uh, the care for children and making those discoveries right here in Connecticut. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. It's been great to talk to you. And it's kind of rambled. <laughs> <laughs> no, just see what you've done in Connecticut. It's been awesome. It's a great organization. And you know, when I got here uh, to see the potential, when a hospital is, has financial constraints, it really can't make the investments it needs to to do the kind of things I'm talking about. So we first had to get ourselves out of the tailspin, get a, get our footing properly placed, and then start investing in, in people starts with the people and then we build the facilities and build the technology around them and this is where it takes us and uh, there's a lot more we, we want to do yeah it seems i mean just hiring you know psychologists just for your staff it's right. such a, a big step i think supporting the team is critically important none of this happens without the staff yeah. well thank you so much for my pleasure my pleasure thanks for having me podcast and thank you for listening to the bizcast you can listen and subscribe on Apple or YouTube. And for more episodes, head on over to CBIA.com.